It's like we forgot how to start this thing off. It hasn't been that long since we recorded. It's only been like nine days, maybe. This is Making It Up, a podcast where we tell you what's happening in creative culture and why it matters. I'm Sharice Poon, and my co-host is Eugene Kan. We don't always have all the answers, but we try our best to reach a conclusion that adds value to the conversation. If you like this podcast, please share an episode with a friend. We really appreciate it. This topic is your life. So I think this topic basically just needed this article to encapsulate and explain everything I was feeling. It's pretty exciting. It's actually pretty exciting. I can't believe that we've come across an article that captures this facet of who you are. Dive right in. Does that mean I go first? Okay. I, I think you have to then. you have to start because even though alphabetically you would be going second, the way we've today's so episode much. And also the way today's episode took place was that you picked yours first and then I actually intentionally found a corresponding subject. So you let's go with one. let's go with Vox Populi. My topic comes to you via Real Life Mag and the title as Sharice alluded to is sort of a non-literal title. It's Vox Populi. I'm I'm saying that wrong, but it's it's Latin for and I guess it was Latin. I don't know why it just had that sort of vibe to it. What it means is the voice of the people. I didn't know that until right yeah. this second. So, But I guess it's a pretty common saying. How do I know this? It has its own Wikipedia page. Oh, interesting. But it's not usually used to refer to the material in this article, is it? No, not really. I did feel it was kind of a stretch because in reality, the topic itself is not the voice of the people in the way in a way no not yeah it's the minority but to give you context the subheading of the story is people who feel no pleasure in music itself may have a sharper sense of its societal potential Social. wait what the hell why did i read that why did i read that so poorly hold on i don't know <laughs> I man i never that. i never know I with you I, sometimes when we record late at night you're great sometimes you're not it's real grab bag let me say it again okay you're editing <laughs> it's not even today. that late Oh my goodness. It's not even that late. All right. The subheading for this story is people who feel no pleasure in music itself may have sharper sense of its social potential. So actually, this is not a new story. It it was published August 16th, 2017. It's but not I, really I actually, connected to anything timely. Don't you kind of like when you stumble upon something and it's like really old, but it's either really interesting or still valid for well, yeah. this moment in time. I mean, there's lots of writing that's like that. It's just that on this podcast, we usually talk about things that are current news, air quotes. The reason why I'm actually bringing that up is because I think that the way that distribution works right now, there's a half-life, right? So what I mean is that something gets published and it literally has this small window of opportunity for it to be seen and made relevant like it doesn't happen very often where something might just sit dormant for like 
two or three years although it has happened like youtube videos where somebody mm. sits dormant and then it goes viral yeah it's rare but a lot of media companies do re-push old content nowadays but that's totally not the subject of this podcast today so i have to give credit to sherry who whose newsletter water and music made mention of this the other day mm-hmm. and i was like oh this is interesting like basically she had a very short sentence that talked about oh and if you're one of those people who don't like music and then it was a link to this piece so this story itself focuses on the phenomenon known as musical anhedonia so i think what's more important is the the latter half of that term so you can break down what it means and it's the inability to feel pleasure in normally pleasurable activities Mm -hmm. so that could be anything like i don't know food anhedonia where most people might enjoy eating food and you just don't really derive any pleasure although that doesn't seem that no rare. there are people like, actually, there are people who are like that oh you mean it's not rare like yeah, it's quite no. common yeah. yeah it's quite common i'd say yeah um so in the context of music obviously it's people that don't really derive pleasure from music okay so at this point in time should we tell the listeners why this is interesting to you yes i think i'm trying to think about whether this was something that was driven by a moment in time or have always felt this way but i just generally don't like music and everyone's always so surprised when i say that like how can you not like music maybe you haven't found the right thing for you and i have tried to dissect because there were moments in time where i liked music more but like i would say in the last 10 years i just like don't really care about music Mm -hmm. at all and i don't know why it's changed like i think the last moments like the last time i was really into music was maybe like college dropout like kanye west college dropout and i was like oh this is like that and after that it was it like it's almost as though it was binary it was like after that i don't really care anymore well i mean you're gonna get into this in more detail what musical anhedonia feels like and what kind of things that people who have that might enjoy instead But I think a reason why maybe there was a change for you is because at one point, music played a greater social value in your life. And it was important that you at least listened to music to get that social value from it. Meaning that other people were listening to it and you needed to listen to it in order to be a part of that like conversation. And then... After a certain in, in point a way, in your yeah. life, it became not as important. That that wasn't as I, much a part of your life anymore. So you didn't need to. I almost feel like music was just like the secondary factor to something. Yeah. It was like, oh, let's collect music. So collect music. Let's collect something. So it ended up being music. Yeah, I mean, I don't know your personal history, but it could have been as simple as like your high school friends wanted to go to the record store. And so you would go with them. I guess that's not really an example that was valid for me, but it's also... It might also have been like, well, what is the physical device, the the equivalent electronic device that we owned when we were younger? It wasn't cell phones because they weren't necessarily prevalent. It was like a CD player yeah. or an a MP3 media player. player. And that was, yeah, exactly. I think it was always in the periphery, but I think this one paragraph sums up this whole piece quite well. It does a good job of setting the tone. In 2013, Researchers at the University of Barcelona discovered a neurological condition they named specific musical anhedonia, estimated to affect 5% of the population. People with musical anhedonia do not enjoy listening to music. They are not generally anhedonic 
That is, they haven't lost pleasure in other things like food, exercise, or art, nor are they tone deaf, although that is debatable. It might be tone deaf. People with a condition can recognize the effect of a piece of music, identifying when a song is meant to feel happy, frenetic, or menacing. But the emotions don't land, and the anhedonic listener doesn't feel particularly calm, ecstatic, or scared. This story also goes on to explain that music is processed by the auditory cortex, which takes sound waves and breaks them down into phonemes, pitches, and rhythms. Once the brain establishes that it's a piece of music, dopamine is released and it triggers euphoria. So generally speaking, I think that's why people enjoy music so much because of that chemical release. Yeah. And then also for most people, when they listen to music and they're able to predict where the piece of music is going, there's a certain pleasure. However, that pleasure is heightened when there's a pleasant unexpectedness towards the piece of music. But for music anhedonics, they take pleasure from other pathways. So this could be the historical context of a song, right? This might be more interesting to them or even a fact about the performer. And this itself is more valuable to them than the actual sort of audio experience of the music itself. Yeah. And here's another really good passage. People with anhedonia are not passively indifferent to music. Instead, they invent their own listening patterns, circumventing the aesthetics of music itself to make sound pleasurable through its social, indexical, and physical qualities. Mm. Which, from my perspective, yeah, like, I think for me, music's most valuable offering is that, and I actually mentioned this on a, on a make and briefing intro a few, like maybe two or three briefings ago, where I my friend Joe Spearman of Localer, he made this remark that like in a very uh, multicultural place like Hong Kong, like top 40 music is almost a requisite because you have people of all different walks of life all congregating in one club or one bar. And the only way where you can establish a connection or a through point is through top 40 music. So I think that's one of the most valuable things about music is that, and it's actually something that, be discussed a little bit later on in this piece but like yeah i think that's one of the most interesting things and like you have people that listen to music where they don't understand the lyrics that's actually super common right so there's some sort of value in definitely itself can i insert an anecdote that is relevant at this point of course so i was in berlin and i was with a good friend of mine joan who i've mentioned on this podcast a lot and then we were with four other people yes we were with four other people and we were in a bar and it was this no lyrics to my mind extremely repetitive music which i guess was like german edm slash trance like very like Mm. you you get what i'm saying like just the same beat over and over again and so we were talking about like the types of music that we'd like to have in clubs and to dance to and joan and i hit on the same thing that you just said which is that for us, this kind of music, there is no moment of recognition. So you and the people in the club with you or in the party or bar or whatever, you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, like we love this song or like this reminds us of X, Y, Z. Right. But then when you have top 40 or when you have like throwbacks to old top 40s, that's when people have that like shared recognition. You don't even have to like the song like you're saying. It, it's just that we all know it. Yeah. And I think that 
just to kind of further add to that, when I go to karaoke, it's like the best experiences are when you have, for example, last weekend or whatever, I went to karaoke with Mayland and whatnot. And it's interesting when you have in that room, people of varying ages, different walks of life, well, more so like grew up in different places, but somehow, you know, someone from Hong Kong, someone from Canada, someone from the U.S., um, albeit, yes, they're English-speaking countries in a way, like they're all actually connecting over the same songs. Yeah. Right? They're singing the same songs. So I think that's still actually the most interesting thing about music to me. Yeah. And then as we kind of round out the end of this piece, there is this one concept or this one idea by, and this name is awesome, Diedrich Diedrichson. It is an awesome who, name. In an essay called Music, Immateriality, Value, he suggests that music is utopian because it's the ability for somebody to use their abilities and express their thoughts in a way that other humans can also partake in. And then also, according to him, music doesn't have value in this Marxian sense. I think he meant Karl Marx. Yeah, like in terms of uh, economic models and whatnot. It's different because it doesn't require material resources in the traditional sense. So mm-hmm. yes, while you can capitalize on it, yeah, you know, you can get a bigger, nicer studio, better equipment. You don't actually need a lot to make music. Well, because we can all, well, I mean, sorry, I shouldn't have said we, because obviously there are people who are mute, but many humans can sing. So we come already equipped with like musical ability to some degree. So I get, I get that. And it sidesteps language, just like you said, which is why anyone can partake in it. I'll also add that in the context of those with musical anhedonia, they don't derive pleasure on this sort of physiological level with the dopamine releases and whatnot. But they do derive pleasure through music's role in shaping cultural narratives. Mm -hmm. And then there's this last passage that I think really does a good job of wrapping the whole argument and just the whole piece together. Despite their indifference to music, anhedonics display a special acquisitiveness towards sounds that teaches them something about other people they could seek out white noise or birdsong the ambient clamor of city streets asmr recordings of cellophane rustling on a microphone but they don't seem to instead musical anhedonia produces a strong desire to hear the human voice so in general it's kind of like they've modified the impact of sound i wouldn't say modify that's probably the wrong word it's more like they value sound in a different way. And there is an example in this piece where there's uh, someone in the army, like a 20-year-old guy that's in the army. And for him, you know, he's also kind of one of these people that doesn't really vibe with music. And he spends a lot of time listening to podcasts. Yeah. And I think if you kind of look through the different examples, I didn't actually go to too many examples of the different people that represent this musical anhedonia. Uh, phenomenon because I felt as though that the main crux of this wasn't that hey these people exist it's more about like what role these people play in the musical landscape which is what I'm trying to figure out as well it's kind of like you know understanding that music itself extends beyond just the performative element there's actually layers beneath it but what role do those people and what value do they have in adding to the conversation I think one thing that you kind of glossed over but didn't really say 
spell out necessarily is that I think people, whether they have musical anhedonia or not, seek out intentional audio. And I'm calling it intentional audio. I just came up with that to encompass everything that's audio but isn't environmental, as in mm-hmm. it's it's crafted. Okay, so it's like people who even have musical anhedonia will still want to listen to something more than just the city sounds or the sounds that just happen naturally around them. But instead of finding music, they're going to come to look for other things like podcasts or the author also talks about she really enjoys listening to the British Library Sound Archive, which are just like natural conversations. So I think that's really interesting. And that's why I think that people with musical anhedonia are maybe not really interested in contributing to like a music conversation, but they would drive this other part of crafting audio, which is conversations or sounds or ambient recordings. Like there's, there's a lot of things out there that are audio related that aren't music. Looking at the relationship between music and audio, because honestly, I see them as actually very separate. Yes, they're kind of the same medium, but one of them has a lot more intention than the other in a way. Like, yes, a podcast has intention, but it's also sort of... Which one are you saying has more intention? I don't even know. I think music has way more intention. You don't think crafting human voices have a lot of intention? I was sure you were going the the other way here. I don't think so. Like, I think you and I having this conversation has intentionality around it, but we're not thinking and glossing over a single word. Like when you're creating music, you're writing music, lyrics are written, all that stuff. Oh, gee, I don't, I disagree. I mean, this conversation itself, making it up, is not this like audio masterpiece, sure. But there are definitely pieces of audio work that are extremely well-crafted that don't involve music. So it's, I don't agree. I mean, if there is something I could agree with is maybe that like music- What's an example that comes to mind? There is this one podcast episode I really like called, I've actually forgotten the exact name, but it is this single narrator. It's essentially the gist of it is he is a comedian trying to train a robot to take over his job. And it's set in like the near future. Anyway, this is all just to say that it's a fiction story consisting of one person's voice and then a robot voice which is computer automated, I would guess, or some el- something else. And I love it because it's this story and it has nothing to do with music. Text. No, it could not have. It would not be the Why? same. I completely disagree. I oh. can put the link in and people should go listen to the whole thing. But I just don't... Yeah. I mean, why do we do podcasts? Like, we literally run a media There's company in- that produces podcasts because we think that audio stories deliver something else besides the text. Correct. No, I get it. But I'm, what I'm trying to say is that on, on the hierarchy of intentionality, I do think there's a little bit more thoughtfulness that goes into music. For someone who is not emotionally moved by music, that's like a really strong play for music's value. That's the thing. This is the whole piece itself. It's like, I don't necessarily need to be emotionally moved by the music, but I understand the impact and power. Like the way some people talk about music, sometimes I'm like, dude, you're tripping. Like, how could it be that 
that intense of an experience, but like some people need to live with music and like, I'm not one of those people. What I'm willing to say, I, I'm, I don't think that music is somehow like made with greater intention than non-music audio work, but music is more viscerally emotional. And so it does play to humans' feelings much more strongly. Because it's not dependent on you following a story. You don't have to use your mind. We just talked about it. You know, it's just triggering chemicals in your brain. That's what music's got. At least for people who don't have musical anhedonia. Yeah. I mean, I, I was wondering if you were going to mention this anecdote. So you're editing this story right now. You sent it to me to listen to. And then I said, hey, I noticed you put music at the very end but pretty much not anywhere else. And I feel like if you put some music in the intro and then also at like key transition points would really heighten the entire experience. And the effect, yeah. Yeah, and the effect. Actually, I'm glad you brought this up. And then after reading this article, I was like, oh, maybe Eugene just didn't think of it because he has musical anhedonia. When I'm doing these stories, depending on people's workflows, some people will think of the music first and then they'll cut it together, right? For me, I start with the story first and the music is a secondary layer. As I was creating this story, I'm like, there are moments within the story where I personally know that it's an important and impactful moment. Mm -hmm. Like you can tell like it's there's a, there's a bit of like um, emotional resonance there. But for whatever reason, I just like, Maybe it's like a combination of my relative disinterest in music and also the fact I don't watch a lot of movies that I I really wasn't capable of utilizing music as an enhancement for emotion. Yeah, I was also going to say I'm not also a very emotional person. So like I'm trying to like empathize. I'm trying to think like if you're going to listen to this, how do I think you're supposed to react? Well, I was wondering if it's actually harder for you because... I mean, I think you're a very intelligent person and you can figure out like what the music should be for a certain part. But if you can't feel it, then when you listen back to it, I think that it would be harder for you than it would for me, for example. That That's actually a really good question. And the thing that I would say that I'm relatively good at is that I can understand the how something relates to something else. Like if I look at what someone's wearing in what context, is that the right thing to wear? Or given where we are today at this given moment in time, is this on trend, off trend? Are they trying to do their own thing? So I think there's a certain level of analysis and understanding, does it fit? Like just in the most simplest terms, does this fit? And I think that I may not be the best in terms of picking the best music, but I think there's sufficient uh wiggle room mm -hmm. it's late i'll just use the word no no i completely understand i just think that yeah. your process has to be different like you've just described because you have to analyze more technically what's happening whereas my process when i edit audio and i'm sure this is different for everyone is that i just listen to a lot of different tracks against the voice and then i just go go on my feeling i just go with this feels right <laughs> and I know that sounds like super non-scientific, but that is how I put it together. Here's probably the most basic way I look at music, right? Like depending on the instrument, 
I already that use that as sort of like the the bra- the the initial sort of starting point. Like, oh, is it a beat? It's probably more in alignment with the making vibe. Oh, it's guitar music. Okay, probably not. Like, it doesn't fit with us, right? And then I start going down that, and I'm thinking to myself, like, who do I picture listening to this music and getting excited about it? And I use that as the cross reference to whether or not it's the right music to use. Got it. I don't know if that's actually how anyone else would do it. Well, maybe other people who have musical anhedonia and also need to set music to podcasts. I don't know how but many like, of those people are out there. But you also like you would never do it that way. You basically, like you said, you just pick the music that you think fits, and you can't. Yeah. Can you explain it? Like, Not can really. You explain why. It, I mean, oh, like I could explain it in hindsight, but I couldn't explain it beforehand. Because my process really is so. Because I'm doing audio right now for my final project, is I, I've done the voice same as you. So I do the narration. I have these other clips with voices in them. I play that, and at the same time, I'll try different tracks, and I will just go down a list of like possible options. And I don't spend a lot of time winnowing down that list because I know if I just listen to like four seconds of it, then I'll figure it out. Yeah. So that's my process. But what is the takeaway for someone else who is listening and who doesn't have musical anhedonia? I, I guess maybe it's it's interesting to think that it people with musical anhedonia are missing something, right? They're missing that sort of emotional resonance when it comes to music. But they do replace that with... I guess a more analytical perspective around music, if that's fair to say. So what does it look like if you actually pair analysis and or cultural narrative, like actually being very conscious of this part of the musical process and also pair it with your ability to understand and react to the emotional side. Mm. It would be really interesting for two people to have that conversation. I would be curious. That's my. That's all I really have. Actually, when I was thinking about this, I didn't really have anything that I felt was very much driven by an opinion. It was more like I thought this was a very interesting piece of information reporting, and I was like, "Oh, like it'd be interesting to talk about it." I mean, I definitely think it's interesting because it explains something about you that previously people just thought is a weird personality quirk. Yeah, but you literally have a physiological reason as to why you don't derive pleasure from music. I mean, I don't think I'm like zero pleasure, but I also, like some people could never not listen to music and I could 100% not listen to music. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the difference. Should we move on? Yeah, let's do it.
I apologize if it's loud in the background. I'm in my flat in the middle of the day, so folks are moving around. My subject this week is called Anatomy of a TikTok Hit. And I know that we talked about TikTok maybe three episodes ago, but today's subject is all music focused. So not really about TikTok the company so much as it is about what kind of music is on TikTok, what makes it a hit, what makes it viral. And I picked this primarily because it goes along with your one. And I wanted to pick something that talked about music from, I guess, the more common perspective of what is like extremely popular to the vast majority of people. I also learned a lot and I definitely learned that I am not a young person because so much of this was new to me and were trends that like I had never heard of. Can you actually like start off with a trend you'd never heard of? Or the one that just sort of blew your yeah, mind. Yeah, essay also starts with a tr- trend that I had never heard of and I guess is really popular now. There are 3 million TikToks set to Ashniko's Stupid. Ashniko is this 23-year-old artist. She wrote this rap song that's about dismissing men. It has a music video where she like kills her ex-boyfriends. It reached Spotify's Viral 50 chart and mainly because it became viral on TikTok as part of a hip-swaying dance challenge. And I'm going to say dance challenge a couple more times today because Mm -hmm. that's like what really helps songs get popular on TikTok. And the, let me try to describe, I've picked a very visual subject today. The meme is essentially, it starts with people mouthing the lyrics and it's just like spoken lyrics. And then there's a point where she says, and at that moment they're supposed to lift one hand in the air and then sway their waists from side to side and i don't know the origin of this i can't even tell you the origin of this and it's like it doesn't even really go with the song and it's not in the music video either but Mm -hmm. when a song is paired with a dance challenge like that or like has this very predictable format, then it goes viral and everyone is doing it, which is really interesting because TikTok really encourages just imitating what already exists out there. Literally, people are just posting themselves doing the same thing that's been done a million times before. But the ones that are successful riff off of it. Like it's not exactly the same thing. It could be better camera work, unexpectedness. That contributes to like individual user popularity, but in terms of like platform enjoyment, people seem to just enjoy repeating what's been done. I don't know how to explain it any other way. Yeah, I mean, that's valid. But are you trying to explain the phenomenon behind why someone's doing it? I don't know what I'm trying to explain. I guess, no, it's not beyond the, it's beyond the point. I'm just explaining like the TikTok environment, I guess, which is that. Mm. Which is, I think, different from other social media sites, which is where you do try to be original in some way. And TikTok doesn't punish imitation. Like people Mm -hmm. will just are happy to watch the same five seconds of the same snippet of a song of different people doing the same dance. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of saying this like I don't understand. And I guess I don't really understand. I think in some ways it plays off what we mentioned before in my piece about how the expectedness isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote that actually as well, because I was thinking it could be that they, they know what they're getting 
and they're still happy to get it with like the tiny bit、yeah. of variation. And there's like this little bit of glimmer of possibility, like you said, that someone's going to riff on it and it's really good、mm-hmm. for whatever reason, like their costume or editing or camera work. I think there is an element of community when everyone's participating in the same thing. And I think the zeitgeist itself is very strong. It's like, what is the thing of today? And I'm part of it.、Mm-hmm. And we know that it's a fleeting moment in some ways, I think.、Mm, I get what you're saying. So it's not even like I am getting a lot of enjoyment out of watching like 20 people do the same thing, but I feel a part of it because I'm doing this thing that like people all over the world are doing. Don't you feel like some people that does make sense. believe they're part of an influencer movement just by virtue of? Supporting and following influencer, if that makes sense. Like, I think it's all in this sort of pot. Well, I'm not sure TikTok is so much about influencers, though, because it's、uh, not necessarily that the music artist is really strongly featured. Yeah, let me rephrase that. I think that what I mean is that there are people that are more than willing and happy to follow along with something, and that in itself creates. A bit of ownership.、Mm, yeah, I get you. Can I say a couple more things about TikTok hits? Yes. Interestingly, traditional pop songs like Miley Cyrus, Ed Sheeran, they don't do very well on TikTok. And this one 21 year old TikTok creator named Selena Johns, who has 800,000 followers, says that Gen Zs were getting tired of the pop you hear every single day. So I think this is interesting on a larger music level is that.、Mm. I think traditional pop is still charting very well, but because of what works well on TikTok, the music scene is changing. And it's starting to happen. Labels are giving stars with music that are hits on TikTok a lot of money, such as Capitol and Atlantic Records. And they're trying to work with these artists to reverse engineer hits based off of the suitability for memes and viral trends. So, they're trying to like recreate the TikTok sound、mm-hmm. because a lot of the tracks now, they're kind of chosen by users. As in, the artists themselves, they might not consciously be thinking of TikTok, except for maybe the case of Lil Nas X.、Um, but artists find like that hook in a song that they really like and catch on to that.、Mm-hmm. A little bit more dissection about what a TikTok hit typically will be it will have outrageous lyrics, so like swear words or be something really outlandish. Strong beats, nostalgic references to internet culture or throwbacks. A lot of, in terms of like musicality, the vocals are either like croaking or streaking, and there's usually some kind of drop. And all of this is because like it's this really short snippet and it has to hit you really fast and really intensely. And the drop is actually goes back to what we were saying about expectation is that. We become used to, we enjoy waiting for that drop to happen. And the drop in the music is like corresponding with some kind of change in the visual. So, like what I said earlier about the song named Stupid, where it starts with like、yeah. lip syncing and then switches to dancing. One more example, which I actually found really funny and I think people should go look at, is OK Boomer. And The reason why it works so well is actually, for me at least, why it works so well for me is that there is a story. Like, OK Boomer is the punchline and it comes at the very end of the TikTok. And so, whatever the person is doing in the video has to kind of lead up to that punchline. And so, maybe that's、mm-hmm. why I get 
more pleasure from watching it because it's like a different gag every time, but set to the same song. It's so curious, Sherry Hu would actually be the person to ask about this in terms of music and technology. I'm so curious what this means for song making in general, because you know how we talked before about how songs are getting shorter in order to like be on mm -hmm. Spotify? Or just to maximize the number of streams. Yeah, or to maximize the number of streams. Well, TikTok takes such a short snippet that teenagers might not even recognize the whole song. Yeah, that seems valid. Only hear those five, ten seconds. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you write a whole song now. You just essentially repeat the same hook is kind of what I've been feeling. Because I've watched some of these music videos and they don't really have this traditional like verse chorus bridge situation it's really like the hook in in a whole bunch of different ways and that's obviously not like the proper music lingo but i definitely think it's shaping how younger artists are making their work what you're actually seeing is a a big shift in the reason why people create music or the, the limitations they put on music mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right yeah and is it 100 bad no i don't think so i think this stuff happens. Yeah, like if you're creating something that used to have, you know, three minutes and 47 seconds to tell a story, now you have to condense it into one minute 52. Yeah, you have to condense it to one minute 52 and then have like a 20 second portion that is really catchy. Is that necessarily bad? I don't think so. I think it's interesting. an interesting observation. Probably heavy handed for me to say it's like, are you creating the clickbait of music? Or is that different? <sighs> Maybe you can help me run through that. Are you creating the clickbait of music? Hum. Well, one reason I don't think it's necessarily bad is because it makes music somewhat easier to enter. So you don't have to craft this beautiful album of 12 songs that has like really high production value. You can be a 17 year old, this is in this article, a 17 year old bought like a $2 track and then edited it and then, oh sorry, $15 track and then edited it and then got viral on TikTok. And that's kind of great, right? Like that a creator could do that and then yeah. have a kind of a launch pad. And I guess the reason why I don't think it's bad is that I don't think that music artists themselves would just do that forever. Then the reason I say that is because I think that most creators want to experiment with what they're doing. So if they do make this kind of stuff, which we could call like clickbait or like make this stuff that's like targeting TikTok, I think they also want to make stuff that's not. Maybe TikTok is like a way for them to like get into people's ears and have people recognize them. I guess that's what I've, uh, yeah, I guess that's a good way to see it. I think like TikTok gives an opportunity for more people to have exposure than Spotify, for example, if, if you're a music artist, if you're a music creator. Yeah, but it's for a very specific type of musician. Something else that's not really about music, but which also came at the end of this article, which I thought was interesting, is the author talks about how TikTok hits have lyrics that are both simultaneously boastful and ironic. And this is a quote. The popularity of this punkish rap involves an intricate mix of distancing and identification. 
The example the author provided is that there is this song by an artist named Stunna Girl, and in it she says, I look like I'm fresh off the runway. And it's like a kind of brag about how good I look. But the way TikTokers are using it is a mix of saying, look at me, but also kind of pretending that I'm not interested in having you look at me. And I think that's a mm -hmm. very interesting, like, human psychological aspect where it's like performative, but you also don't want to appear like you're trying really hard. That was just an aside. This is not about music at all. I think what's most interesting is how TikTok has emerged as a sort of a music distribution mm. platform. But I mean, ultimately, it's at one point, no one expected it to be on YouTube, right? So I guess it's not really that crazy. It's more that hey you know what this is where people go to drop music or that this is where music goes to become popular yeah that is an interesting kind of evolution of the platform or maybe that's what it always was and it's just like buckling down on it it works best for that right now right like unlike vine it's not really for like original comedic writing that's essentially it from me i mean i think the big thing was like that link in what your brain does in terms of expecting something predictable in music and how you find that pleasurable and how that TikTok reinforces that in getting you that dopamine. Do you wanna do a little bit of light revelation chit chat? What is your revelation? over the last seven days. So I am coming back with a report on the coffee situation because I promised people I would, I think two episodes ago. I have now been yep. reducing caffeine for the last 14 days. I sound like an addict, <laughs> um, but it's gone really well. So I've only had two cups of coffee in the last 14 days, but I have had black tea. So it's like, just it's about lowering the caffeine consumption, not like going completely off for me. And I think what you would find interesting is that there was a moment when I was feeling completely just so terrible, like the worst hangover of my life. Terrible. And it's like a bad headache. Yeah. This was about three days in. It's like really bad headache, feeling nauseous, just wanted to lie down. But I was in Berlin for Joan's birthday. Oh, and she wanted to shout out. So happy birthday, Joan. Everyone go find her Instagram and bombard her with belated birthday wishes. Anyway, so it was her birthday and she wanted to go rock climbing. So we were going rock climbing that day that I felt like complete shit. And then weirdly, I felt so much better right after we started and it has to do with it just must be the endorphins from exercise it just fixed it interesting like i took two tylenol about an hour before rock climbing and it didn't do anything that i could feel and then i did like one course of the wall and then immediately after that i was fine and i was like whoa that was like magic that was like the most magical chemical reaction in my brain so i feel really good i'm sleeping better so does that mean you're permanently off the caffeine then? I am trying to permanently be off the coffee a day. 
I'm not no coffee. Mm, I'm trying to keep it down to like a coffee every three, four days, which is drastic. People will remember drastically different. What is your revelation? I don't know. Maybe my revelation is that astrology is not necessarily a scam. (laughs) What? Did you download Cosine? No. No, but like, so it's so funny because I was like, there's a bunch of mistakes I made over the last like seven days. Like I just fucked up on a bunch of things. And I was just like telling Alex, man, I'm like, something's up. Like, I just like, I feel so off. And like, he just took that. And then he's like, oh, maybe it's Mercury retrograde, which is, I don't even want to go too deep into it, but like, I'm going to over, oversimplify it because I don't even think it's real. But essentially there's parts of the year when Mercury appears to be spinning in the opposite direction than it usually does. And during that time, a lot of stuff happens, like weird stuff happens, right? So like every sign will have their own sort of outcome. And for me, it was like, hey, Mercury retrograde will be between October 31st and like November 20th. You will feel very physically tired. And I'm like, wait, really? And I was like, this this reads exactly as I feel, which is one thing. It's like confirmation bias. But there's been a few instances where I've been reading a lot of things or people have like read me things based off my astrology. And I'm like, oh, you know what? Like I have no reason to necessarily believe this story, but it does align with things that are objectively true. Okay. This is right? the question. The This is a question I have yes. about astrology. Let's say that we don't believe it in the sense that we don't believe that it's deterministic. Like, Mercury retrograde doesn't directly cause you to feel physically tired. However, do you think that reading about your sign and what's happening could still be beneficial to you, even though you don't believe in it? Uh, yeah. Well, do, well, I think that when I read it and it has a level of objectivity to it, then it just becomes a fun thing. Like... It, it just becomes a thing that you don't need to be, as you mentioned, like the deterministic element could consume your life or you could just be like, hey, you know what? It's something that might be true, might not be true. It's fun. Let's just like look at it when we, we have a And it's possible chance. that it is the kind of thing like if you're thinking about it, then you might make a change in your life. Even, even though, again, like I said, that you might not believe that the planet's movements are affecting you. Whatever you're reading about it, like let's say it says, um, this is a great time for you to take risks. And then you take a risk and it pans out. Like Mm -hmm. that's a good thing, right? So that's kind of what I mean. This astrology stuff has been more uh, confirmation than, than inspiration, if that makes sense. Right, for you. I mean, I've never, ever expected you to bring up astrology to me, so. It felt as though it was just like pseudoscience, but I mean, what can you say? It's like, it's, there's certain things that you can just do for fun and that's one of them. Yeah, I go for that. I think you can do it for fun. That's a good place to cap things off for the day. If you are interested in learning more about Macon, Reading and listening to some of our stories focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture. You can visit us at makein.com, M-A-E-K-A-N.com. 
You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at Sharice at Macon.com, C-H-A-R-I-S, or Eugene at Macon.com, E-U-G-E-N-E. We love hearing from you. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.